0: This is a podcast from the Digital Preservation Program at the Library of Congress. For more information, please visit digitalpreservation.gov. I'm Mike Ashenfelter. My guest today is Karen Cariani, director of the WGBH Media Library and Archives in Boston, Massachusetts. Well, Karen, thanks for talking with me today.
1: You're welcome. (laughs) Pleasure to be here.
0: You just happened to be the first conversation in the podcast series that's specifically about the NDSA. So, would you mind kind of in your own words uh, before we get into your particular work in the NDSA just just kind of explaining what it is?
1: Um, sure. The NDSA is the National Digital Stewardship Alliance group out of the library that's sort of been shepherded by the Library of Congress. I believe it came out of the partners that were part of the end project originally, mm-hmm. um, and then it expanded out to anybody that wanted to join as a member. Um, and the I think my understanding from the Library of Congress is that the idea is to bring together people in the community of digital preservation to work on major issues on digital preservation in a variety of different ways to sort of help move the conversation nationally forward and help share information and figure out good ways to sort of raise the awareness about the need for digital preservation across the country. Um, and the Library of Congress is sort of, as I say, the shepherd of it, um, but really the, a lot of the work and the volunteer effort that's going into it is from people from across the country
0: and it's a, it's a variety of like institutions and businesses and stuff like that right anybody with a a stake or an interest in digital preservation
1: Yes, yes. It's a, there are a lot of universities involved, but there are also cultural institutions. Um, I'm from WGBH, which is public television. Um, there are also um, vendors involved, um, people who are commercial, commercial entities. So yes, it's a really great mix of people from all walks of life <laughs> or the economy.
0: No, so your work with WGBH, I'm sort of familiar with it. I know you're storing a lot of um, digital video down at the library's Packard Campus in, in Culpeper, Virginia. But could you tell me a little bit about your, your like what sure. you've done? Certainly. Well,
1: WGBH is one of the um, leading public television stations in the United States. Um, we produce about thirty percent of the material that gets aired on public t- on PBS. We are also an NPR station. We have two, three radio stations, I believe, um, and we have been keeping producing materials for public media um, since 1951. Uh, we we keep as much of our master programs as we possibly can here on site in our archives, um, and that's both for radio and television. So we have a lot of audio and we have a lot of video. Um, what ends up being stored at the Library of Congress is our, our um, copyright registration program, so the final broadcast programs for copyright registration. Um, I also think that PBS in general has a collection of material that they've given to the Library of Congress for storage. Um, but um, yes, so we are uh, kind of at the forefront of trying to deal with issues around digital preservation for media, and it's um, they're complicated issues, a little more difficult to deal with than just documents or data sets um, because they're time-based media. Um, so we, I'm actually learning so much from my <laughs> colleagues in the, in the NDSA about um, how what we're doing kind of relates to other. Pieces of digital preservation and how I can bring some of their knowledge and expertise to what we're trying to do.
0: Yeah so that that, that, um, that brings us to your work in the uh, in the NSA but I, before we get into that I want to ask you one more thing what's your, what's your technical background Do you have a technical background?
1: Hmm. No, I don't. <laughs> I kind of fell into this. I, I have a Bachelor of Science in Biology, and um, I just um, was always really interested in information management and uh, organization of information. So I kind of fell into the position and into the work, um, but somehow I seem to have a knack for it. I worked in production also, so I know a lot about media production. Part of what that does is it, I understand the workflow at the beginning of the creation of this material, then when I have to capture that material at the back end, I kind can, can understand the hurdles and challenges that, that goes into creating it, and I can try to insert the things that we need to insert in that workflow process so that I get what I need at the end for the archive.
0: Wow, so you've changed your uh, approach as a producer to adhere to like, you know, what, what it takes to preserve something digitally
1: we've been trying it's um it's a, it's always an ongoing process because our productions you know their first and foremost goal is to get something on the air um, but we have tried we've been um, we are aware of the fact that they need to particularly with digital media and digital production where they're creating digital files instead of physical tapes that they need to organize their materials in terms of how they name their files and how they organize the files we've been giving them a templates up front to keep track of all that and guidelines on how they should do that so that when it comes to the archive at the end, it's much better organized and it's ready to just ingest into a digital system.
0: Can you, that's, that sounds really cool. Can you give me like an example, a specific example of a, of a show that you produced and what you did to make sure it was ready to be well-preserved?
1: Well, frontline, frontline's a good example. They've been um, tapeless, so meaning that they have been shooting digital files now for over a year. Um, they, um, as with most producers, they like to use whatever camera equipment they want, and particularly for things like around the Arab Spring. They're going to use whatever they can grab and get out there and shoot. So. Um, What that means these days is that the files coming in are on all different kinds of file formats. So there's no way we can regulate to say, you know, you can only shoot on this file format because that's the only thing we can archive. (laughs) So we're having to manage all these different file formats coming into our system and figuring out how we can keep those, how we can preserve them economically, and then how in the near future we're going to be able to migrate them because as with most digital technologies, it's a very short uh, span of time before you need to migrate to a new technology. So um, we're in the midst of trying to figure that out right now. Um, we have managed to get our productions to organize their files in a folders, subfolders, uh tree structure and has given them um guidelines on how to name them, like, you know, no funny characters in the titles, and to use a standard naming convention. Um, and, you know, every so often we get somebody that doesn't follow that, and it causes all kinds of problems. But for the most part, I think they're beginning to realize that if they don't do that, they're never going to find their file again.
0: There's no metadata standard for video yet, is there, embedded metadata standard for video?
1: No, not yet. Um, we've been using the PB Core schema, Um which came out of public broadcasting. Um, it's the closest thing that exists to a metadata standard for media and media collections, but it's really not qualified as a standard quite yet.
0: So by the end of a, a frontline show, by the time it's finished, you're set, it, it's shot, and you keep the master and any derivatives and any related information safely within this file system, and then that needs to be stored somewhere on some yeah. storage device.
1: Our stroke rate the um Preservation piece of it, where it's not just putting it somewhere and storing it, but then you also have to have copies of it, and you have to do checksums. You have to make sure that you're getting all the bits that you think you're getting, and and then my, having a plan to migrate it forward when that technology becomes obsolete. So um, it's a big challenge.
0: So on to NDSA. So you're a member of NDSA, and within NDSA, uh, there are these working groups. There are five of them: content working group. Uh, standards and practices, innovation, outreach, and you're with Infrastructure.
1: Yes, I'm the co-chair on Infrastructure with Trevor Owens from the Library of Congress. And I have to say, um, the Library of Congress, having a co-chair on the Library of Congress staff um, has been just fabulous because they kind of keep us moving along as a little engine behind us, keep us on track and and help corral everybody. So it's been really great.
0: So within this working group, about how many members would you say – are, are part of it.
1: Oh, I want to say thirty or forty people who claim to be members, but um, our working group. We have a monthly call once a month. Generally speaking, on the call, it's between five and ten people who actually make the calls. But you know, which is fine. That's okay. I think most people are what you might call lurkers. You know, where they get the notes, the meeting notes, and they can access the wiki. And um, but they, I would say active members is about five to ten. That's worked pretty well.
0: So, what have you guys done? Uh,
1: Well, we originally did a survey on um, storage. Um, First, was storage we started off doing storage in the cloud, um, and then it sort of quickly became a survey of NDSA members for their uh, storage for digital for digital materials um, in general. And uh, we took. It was really kind of interesting to see the breadth of solutions that people have had and kind of where things were settling out in terms of what most people were doing.
0: That was kind of a first in, in and of itself, right, is it getting um, an inventory, taking an inventory of what institutions were doing, how they were yes. preserving their stuff.
1: Yes, so um, so that was kind of it was really interesting to because everyone's sort of working in their own little silos. It was really interesting to hear, you know, well, what is what are other people doing and what I'm doing is it it, does it make sense? And so it was really great to be able to compare that. Um, And we published we we've been publishing kind of the information through blogs, Library of Congress blogs. Um, But recently we've been talking about trying to pull it together into some kind of a formal paper. Um, But mostly it was NDSA members that were. surveyed, which was fine because those are kind of the leaders in the field anyway.
0: And, And what kind of stuff did you ask them?
1: What kinds of files are you storing how much How much storage do you anticipate needing uh, are what kinds of systems are you using? Do you anticipate having to migrate your technology in the near future and if so, like roughly when uh have you considered using the cloud for your storage um things like that and I know the standards group is now doing one on um staffing needs, which I think is really great because. That's one of the, you know, it would be really great to find out how people are staffing this work.
0: So Plus, it, it seems that the line is as blurry as ever, you know, the information technology line as to who qualifies, right? They're, because librarians are trained in yeah. the technology, and, and programmers, you know, that work with, with the library community have to learn the library system, so...
1: Yes, there's a real convergence going on between library uh, folks and, and developers and technology folks. And it hasn't quite, um, well, in our area, it hasn't quite um, converged yet, but it's getting there. I mean, it, it really, having um, IT or tech or developer folks who understand the need for library standards and uh, library organization is going to be really, really important.
0: So you asked these questions, and you got back the results from the folks, and you sorted all the data out. What surprised you? Anything really take you by surprise or caught your attention?
1: I guess, um, well, for us, because we are storing media, um, I guess what, what caught my attention was there's not very many people really thinking about that, except us. <laughs> um, and that a lot of people are working with documents and research data sets, um, and I don't think anybody really quite wanted to tackle the idea that media files are really big data sets in and of themselves, because they're just the files are so big. Sure. Um, and that you know we've kind of got a challenge there to deal with that. Um, what were some of the other things that struck me? Um, you know, we did this survey about six months ago, so the data is not quite in the forefront of my mind right now.
0: Just taking what you just said, that you were um, in minority. Uh, (laughs) as far as storing storing media, did you still find common ground with the other people on the project?
1: Yes. Um, I mean, it was really interesting for me to hear that A, people are thinking that they're going to need to migrate their technology every three to five years. So that was kind of a not a shock to me but sort of like oh crap <laughs> um, but it's true it's absolutely true you know things are are evolving so quickly and that yes you're going to have to migrate to new a new platform a new a new version of your software or something in 3 to 5 years that was one uh two was that people are keeping um the standard was kind of to keep two copies one copy off site uh for preservation but now people are kind of thinking maybe three copies is a good idea um, and the third thing that really struck me, and this actually came up during one of the meetings when I was talking to somebody at the Library of Congress. It had to do with um, checksum um, doing checksums on your data tapes where you know you you pull your tape off the shelf and you do a run on it to make sure that you haven't lost any bits while it's been sitting on the shelf. And uh, somebody sort of was musing it over and thinking, well, you know every time you pull that tape off the shelf and you run it through a machine, you run the risk of losing bits just doing that. so, is that really what you want to do? <laughs> and that sort of, you know, it sort of struck me as, wow, well, that's just sort of slapping that notion in the face a little bit, but you're right. You know, it's kind of like a videotape. You know, if if you've got an old three-quarter inch videotape that's got the video oxide flaking, you, you know, every time you run it through a machine, you're losing images. And do you really want to do that <laughs> just to make sure it's still there? <laughs> So um maybe maybe what you do is make an extra copy just to make sure you've got another copy as opposed to running a checksum, you know, a year into having the tape. Um I don't know, I don't know. That's sort of an interesting thing I would be nice to discuss further.
0: Yeah, and it also sounds that there was no answer, you know, that, right. that no. this this big question right. was raised and you're still all trying to sort it out and there's no good clear answer.
1: Right. Right. I mean, it's, the common practice was, yes, of course you have to do checksums, and you should do checksums at regular intervals, but, you know, well,
0: really? <laughs> <laughs> I see from some of your results that there have been two topics that you all have been um, discussing a lot lately, and that's encryption and compression. hmm Is this just an ongoing conversation, or is there anything you want to say? Do, can you tell me a little bit about those two topics?
1: Um, sure we um, a couple of people in the working group decided that um, maybe what we ought to do is every couple of weeks throw out a topic and just sort of hash it out via email and see where we we get in terms of does something you know a bigger project come out of it do we enlighten our you know anything is there a publication that can come out of it um, I was less involved in those two because encryption and compression for us with media is kind of less important important. Encryption I believe has to do with securities and permissions um, in terms of do you want to encrypt the file because you know you don't want everybody to be able to see it or you only want certain people to be able to see it or you know it's somehow protected And for us, our entire system is sort of um, only accessed through authority access. so encrypting every single file for us was just going to be a nightmare. We, we, just, we don't do it. And the files are so big, it's just too complicated. So we don't do it. So I sort of stepped out of that conversation. Okay. Um, but I think it's important probably for people with documents and um, perhaps data sets, research data sets. Um, and the compression was, you know, how do you compress files and to what level? And again, for us, with media, you really don't want to compress if you can help it because as you compress, you lose image quality. Whereas for a data file, you know, compressing is just going to make it really smaller. You're not going to actually lose data so or lose, you know, what's in the file so much. But for us, you know, compressing either media or audio, you lose quality of the media. So we tend to try not to do that if possible. Although there is a whole science about, you know, what compression is acceptable for the eye, human eye to be able to see or not see. So I I wasn't totally involved in those discussions, but they were our ongoing. I believe I could just sort of wrapped them up, but they sort of faded. Right now, one of the discussions I think is about um, we're going to do something about bit preservation at the summer meeting. We're going to do a little presentation on that, and there was a, another one. Oh, there was a project that we has have started and stopped and fits and starts because we just can't seem to be able to nail down. Um, really a core of what we're trying to accomplish with it, which is around open source systems. You know, um, what... What can what can we do to help inform the community about potential open-source systems for digital preservation? And it's, it's such a big question that every time we start to try to figure out what the project might be, we kind of get hung up in terms of what direction to go in. So we're still working through that one.
0: Is that as simple as, as just advising people um people who are using proprietary software pointing them at open source one that the community prefers is it is it that
1: possible, but it's it's a little more complicated because um, it, it everything depends upon what you're using your system for. What are your specs? What are the features that you need? You know, are we talking totally open? Are we talking partially open? What are the components that might be open? What are the components that you might go with a commercial solution? So it, it ends up being so complicated that we kind of end up stopping trying to wrap our heads around it and we walk away but I think it's sort of looming in the background that we all feel like we want to do something but we're just not sure what that something is so but that's what the interesting thing is about the group is that you know we can sort of throw ideas out there and mush them around a bit and then step away and then come back I
0: don't know if this is a fair question Karen but what do you all expect to come out of this for example just with the storage I'm looking at the chart that compares the storage that, you know, how many people have, uh, what percentage of your respondents have stuff in a dark, inaccessible archive, and how many people have it online and so forth. So you get the results of the survey, and then what? Do you, do you make a recommendation based on that just with the storage? Do you say a lot of people are putting it online, so the rest of the community, you know, you, have to, you should put it online too? What are you going to make of the data?
1: Um. Yeah, yeah, that's something that actually the group struggles with, whether to actually come out with a formal recommendation or not. And I think the idea was to not come out with a formal recommendation, but just to show best practices and to show, well, this is what these institutions are doing. And if you sort of think that your institution is similar or has similar needs, similar missions, then you might want to consider this is your best practice. Um, And that was sort of a notion. The idea of a recommendation was kind of hard to do because, It's uh, all these things are so complicated with so many different factors that go into the decision-making. So we sort of stepped away from an actual recommendation and thought about it in terms of guidelines, best practices, uh, here's what these people are doing, you might want to consider this kind of notion instead. Um, But in terms of the, and I think that's overall what the NDSA is sort of trying to go towards is best practices, giving some guidelines. But I have to say, you know, I, I have been, I feel so lucky to have been part of this group because I have learned so much from my colleagues. And I sort of always felt like I was the newbie non-tech person. And I have just learned so much from being on the phone calls with people and, and hearing what their issues are and that they've already thought through things that I didn't even consider. And it's been really great.
0: Has it changed, <laughs> the, has it changed the way you, you do things at WGBH or influenced them in some little way?
1: Well, it's definitely made me more aware of a lot of the issues that, you know, we, we tend to, here, we tend to be mostly focused on access because we it's an active archive that we are constantly reusing our materials. And so our focus has always been on access, which isn't necessarily preservation. In fact, it's probably contrary to preservation. <laughs> um, so it has sort of, you know, made me think longer and harder about really what do you do to really protect those assets and yet still allow them to be as accessible and usable.
0: Do you put out collections like uh, DVDs? I I know that PBS does, but...
1: Yes, we do. And, um, you know, we distribute DVDs. We also have a website where we're trying to open up the archives and pushing more stuff out onto the website. Um, So it's been interesting... We've always had two separate systems, one for access and one for preservation and we're now trying to work on a system that brings the two things together so that it's it's both in one and we're not maintaining many systems. Um, But knowing what I need to do for preservation in that regard has been really helpful. The Really the active folks in this space right now are the universities it seems. Um, they are actively working on digital preservation and uh, digital preservation systems and really actively thinking about what that means. And I guess um, I have found that, that that's that been fabulous that they can do kind of the deep thinking Um but I worry a little bit about the smaller cultural institutions that also have materials that need to be preserved and kept and moved forward into a digital world and made accessible that um, aren't part of the conversation, really. Um, and I think it's partly because of lack of resources on their part, but it's somehow, you know, you can build a community of collaboration amongst those smaller institutions and the larger ones, the, the better, I think. I think everyone would win.
0: Who are you thinking of when you talk about smaller institutions, broadcasting institutions?
1: Well, well, it's not necessarily broadcast. Well, community, first of all, the community cable stations, number one. And, And they're, you know, out there in their communities capturing local history every day. But not so much broadcasters, it's just, you know, everybody, within the last 50 years, everybody has some media in their collections. And it's the one thing that no one's really addressing because it's a small piece of their collection, but as time is moving on and digital and and shooting media and collecting it is becoming easier and easier and cheaper, more and more of these cultural institutions and libraries are going to have big media collections and they're not going to know what to do with it because right now they're focusing on paper and books and photographs and maps you know, paper stuff. Yeah, yeah. And, um, they're put, they're not dealing with the media stuff because a, it's a whole nother entity and it's complicated and it's expensive, but at some point, you know, they've all got it. They've all got this stuff. It's not a big part of their collection, but it's going to get bigger. And I think, um, you know, just think about yourself. I don't know how old you are, but I don't know if you ever shot a film based still camera Um, when we used to shoot film-based film cameras, you'd be careful about every single shot that you shot because you had to then pay to have the film developed, right? And it's expensive. But nowadays with digital cameras, you just go out and you shoot hundreds of thousands of photos and then you delete the ones you want, you keep the ones you don't, you dump them on your computer, and then what? (laughs) I mean, there's thousands of photos now out there. And uh, at some point, I don't know, I think that... Someone's going to have to wrap their head around how we preserve that stuff, because it is our cultural heritage.
0: And as you said, helping the smaller institutions and smaller groups deal with their collections.
1: Yeah, and, and you know, part of that's going to end up being curating it, too, you know, making decisions about what's important to keep long-term. I'm on my soapbox. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, you know, in terms of broadcasters, you know, I mean, public media in general needs help in... Um, You know, there are lots and lots and lots of local radio stations out there and local TV stations, and they really don't have the resources to be taking care of the stuff the way they should. And in many communities, the local public television station is the one that has really captured the local history um, because the local commercial stations have just thrown their stuff away. And um, I just think that, yeah, it would be really great if some better, stronger collaboration between say the universities in the area and the public media stations could work together would be great. Well,
0: thanks. Thanks for talking with me. You're welcome. I appreciate it. It's been very informative. You're welcome. This has been a podcast from the Digital Preservation Program at the Library of Congress. For more information about digital preservation, please visit digitalpreservation.gov.